Hey everybody and welcome to Get Your AI On, the podcast. I'm Ciprian Borodescu and this podcast is brought to you by Morphle, the AI platform for e-commerce. I'm the host of the show and every episode I invite founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders and even AI researchers to share with us their experience in dealing with business problems that can be solved through intelligent use of data. This is episode number 13. Let's get your AI on. I'm here with Rudradev Mitra, an AI engineer turned tech entrepreneur, founder at Omdena, a platform for building AI for the real world through global collaboration. He published 10 research papers on AI. He's the author of Creating Value with Artificial Intelligence book that you can find on Amazon. I'm super excited and it's an honor to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Th- thanks a lot for having me, uh, Cyprian, uh, in this in your podcast. I'm, I'm happy to be here too. Um, after reading your book, I know now that we're both big fans of Start With Why by Simon Sinek. And so let's start with that. Do you remember when you came across that book and the impact it had on you? What was your life before and after reading it? Well, interestingly, I actually didn't read his book. Um, I, I think I came across this through a video. And, um, and it, it didn't have a huge impact on me, to be very honest. It's something that I have always been like that. You know, I have always in my life, right from my childhood to university and choices that I had made in my life, I always was... Um, questioning uh, that why I should do something. Um, so I, I don't think it has a huge impact, but it just helped me to connect the dots. So sometimes you you follow certain things that just comes in you. Like in my case, you know, intuitively it was natural for me to do that, although the society around me yeah. uh, would say something else, right? So they will say that, oh, no, you have to follow this pattern, even if you don't understand, like, you know, you don't have to ask the question, you just have to do this. So, And I, I always have that. So it just when I heard from him, it just helped me to connect the, the dots, get the theory behind the practice. If I say that way, um, yeah, yeah, you probably saw the TEDx talk, right? Yeah, the most TEDx likely talk. that one, or maybe he had also not only TED talks. He also was had some like you know his own videos where he's talking. About, I don't remember yeah, yeah, which yeah. one, but I actually wrote an article about uh, about that also many years ago. I think many or three years ago about entrepreneurship. And mm-hmm. I think that I, I wrote in that article that why I want to work with people who do not want to work hard. And and there also okay. I, I referred to him and saying that working hard uh, is a, something that we f- feel like an um, as an effort. And I think that when we really understand why are we doing something, it doesn't feel like an effort. It just like, you know, it, it gives a purpose. It gives uh, it comes naturally. Becomes effortless, yeah. Yeah, effort, and that's something I talk a lot about: effortless living and kind of building things. So I think that that to to me it was like a, a natural, a the- as I said, a theory that came to me, and it it mm-hmm. uh, it, it made sense completely. Yeah, uh, you know that uh, he also published another book recently, The Infinite Game. I I don't know actually. I will be happy to read it. I these days, in fact, yep. unfortunately, I don't read a lot of books, uh, which hasn't uh, for the last six eight months. So I haven't been following who is writing mm-hmm. what. But uh, I'll, I'll be happy to check that out. Thanks for that recommendation. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. That's also on my wish list. That's why I'm mentioning. Cool. Uh, so over, uh, so you have over ten years experience in the AI field, and some of our listeners didn't even hear about AI until a few years back. Walk us through your journey from being a student, a researcher, and software engineer, mentor and advisor for various startups to founding Omdena. How did that come to be, and how did you make the leap? It's an interesting question, and thanks for asking this question. And I, I'll, there are two parts of the question. The first part of the question is how did I get uh, came across or hear about AI? So it, it happened in 2002, actually. So it's not 10 years ago. It's many 18 years ago. And I, I, I love mathematics always. So at that time, AI has been always there, right? So at that time, the AI, I remember, was a lot around chess programs and around AI planning algorithms and puzzle solving. So I love that part. And, and so that's how my first experience with AI came. Published a paper way back in 2002. Uh, started. Uh, I got a, then invited to come to Germany, work in RoboCup. So it was soccer playing robots. 2003, I was working there, uh, building planning algorithms, and the natural language processing. So it was a. Uh, I think that that time for me, AI or machine. The machine learning was not that big actually. Machine learning, I think, recently became that big in terms of the the noise. At that time, AI was to be more the traditional AI, right? Uh, yeah. uh, planning, expert system. I wrote a paper on case-based reasoning. So there's a lot of other algorithms. So it just happened because I love mathematics. I love puzzle solving. Um, and and, and this graduate transition is also quite interesting because I, um, the researcher come naturally because, you know, I love uh, doing research or, or learning something new and, and, and going into a specific topic. And publishing paper was also like somehow it happened. It was not like I was trying to publish any paper. It's just like I, I did some work and someone said, oh, you should write about it. But then I started my PhD at a very young age, and um, 2004 and five. Uh, but then I left the university at, at that time also after a year. And I think that what I realized that building solutions or technically advanced solutions or uh, and actually selling it and and for the applying for the real world are two different things yeah that's a good point and that that's uh, something that made me perhaps move the transition more for from a researcher for, and then to become an entrepreneur um because i always thought that the the most important thing of technology is that when we can apply that in the real world for this for for the benefit of the society and and this was always there in my mind. It was not like it happened like two years ago. It was always that's what I was looking for. Um, and in terms of mentor and advisor, it's also again. Yeah, I mean, if you, I I don't know how much you um, know about my my philosophy of life. And I always think my philosophy of life is don't plan life. You know, I I spoke a lot. I speak a lot about that we create our self uh, driven goals or, or our own self goals, and we try to follow those goals without really knowing whether these goals are good for us or not. Uh, instead, in turn, what I do is I kind of just do what I can do today the best and then let the universe show the, the, the goals or whatever it leads, me, it leads me to. So I never had a plan. I never had any grand vision of doing anything like this. But I think the, the but it just naturally progressed one after another. Uh, same like mentor and advisor. I remember... It happened because I, I was, uh, I, I think I, I wrote an article, it just how the, uh, then I was invited to give a talk, 
And in this talk, there was one person from Google for startups, and she comes to me, and then she says that, oh, do you want to be part of uh, the 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 mentoring or the being mentor network? So it, it just happens yep. naturally, perhaps, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and same with founding Amdena. Like I think that um, while being uh, a speaker and while mentoring, I saw the talent out there. I saw there's so much of great talent who don't have yep. the opportunities, who don't get those opportunities. While I think the opportunities are somehow unfortunately limited to only the top tier you know, often in, in Harvard and Stanford, and which might be true, might have been true 20, 15 years ago, because knowledge was was centered in those places, but now knowledge is everywhere. So so that came naturally to me that uh, we should be able to leverage this huge talent out there of people who who are well-educated, who have access to knowledge, and who are very smart and intelligent and very driven um, to solve great problems in the world. To me, that just comes very naturally, and that's why I thought, okay, we should build something like that mm-hmm. um so yeah it's 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 because you asked that how did i make the leap i, I don't think there is any leap i think it's just a, um, a natural progress and incremental slowly slow by slow uh, movement it does look a leap when i look back in the last 15 17 20 years but uh, every year every month it's not a leap it's just slowly moving in one from another that's uh, that's super interesting, and uh, I like I like the fact that you mentioned the the life philosophy. I'm also um, in the past year or so, I started reading uh, the Stoic philosophy, and one of the things that it's the you know the core of the Stoic philosophy is the fact that in life there are certain things that are in your control, but most of the things are out of your control. And of course, there are those that you can influence, so they are partially in your control. So, uh, I um, I totally agree with um, with your life philosophy. In in a sense, you know, you can have your goals and stuff, but uh, you know, like this pandemic showed, uh, life can uh, throw a curveball at you. And uh, what do you do then? Absolutely, but not only that. I actually think that the best things come in life when you don't make a plan. Uh, and that has been my experience. I mean, if someone would have told me five years ago, perfect, make your perfect plan for the next five years, I would have never made such a great plan as life had showed me. Because five years ago, I would have never thought that I could be all of the things that I have been today. Um, so we only can plan things which we incremental, right? We don't normally plan very disruptive. So uh, like, and, and that's the beauty that if you don't let the plan and let the, just the universe show the plan, maybe there are, Things that is much more interesting, and, and that, so it's not only about that we cannot control it. I would go further and say we should not try to control it because then perhaps life shows the best things. Absolutely, absolutely. And you you mentioned you know technical talent or talent in general available in different hotspots over the um, over the world. And sometimes I wonder how can AI startups succeed with limited access to funding and talent. Uh, what are the levers that we can pull to push through and reach a point where AI is no longer considered elitist? Because it seems that there's a huge gap, basically, between AI tech giants and the rest of us. How do you see this uh, developing? Absolutely. I'm not, I, I think there is a... Maybe there is a... I don't think there's an agenda behind this, but maybe they, they definitely benefit from having this kind of knowledge gap or at least perceiving there is a knowledge gap, right? That 
that the tech giants uh, should have all the knowledge and the rest of us should kind of use it, the technologies that they build. In fact, uh, not only tech giants, I was in a, in a panel discussion uh, a couple of weeks ago, invited by guys in Facebook, and I was in this talk with some professors from different top universities, including Harvard and MIT, and I, I felt that this, there was a, still a notion among people uh, that they know better than the rest, and we will build solutions that others will use. Okay. And, and, and that's, uh, I, I think that that mindset um, is still there, and I think, um, uh, and it's fine. I mean, that's their, their thought process and that they want to do, and many people believe that. But I think that when I've always believed that the best way to, 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 to do something or to change something is to yeah. do it, right, rather than talk about it. You know, we can go and talk, 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 but, you know, unless you do it, yeah. <laughs> it no one will believe that. So, so that's what I think ho- hopefully Omdena is kind of showing that to, to the world that, look, to, to build even sophisticated models, you don't need uh, this top talent. You don't need a lot of money. You don't need a lot of um, um you know, uh, like funds or or, or or talent from these universities or the top places, you can actually leverage the, the wisdom of the crowd and the people and, and build very sophisticated yeah. models. Yeah, and basically just start small, iterate, and see where it, that leads, basically, I guess. Absolutely, and I, I think the tech giants do have a place to play, and they, they should play the role of providing the infrastructure, which I th- I appreciate that. I think that they, they should provide the AWS, and we couldn't have built what we are building without AWS yeah. credits or, you know, Google Collabs and, and TensorFlows. And I think that's there is a, a definitely that that's what tech giants should do. That, but what, what I don't think that tech giants or universities should do is build products for us because. I think they have their own role, and research has its own role, and, and technology infrastructure development has its own role. But product building is to be left for the people because I think that we come when people who face the problem are the best suited yeah. to solve the build the products yeah, for yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. So in your book, creating value with artificial intelligence, you're talking about a very good framework of identifying use cases and problems that can be solved through intelligent use of data. In fact. It's a set of features that make the collaboration between humans and machines work. Can you dive a bit deeper into it and uh, give a few examples? Um, yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the framework, uh, what I'm talking about is that start, again, the start with the why, start with the problem, right? So why, why do you want to build a solution? And th- this is a lot of companies, a lot of startups say, we want to use AI. I mean, that, that's the wrong... <laughs> place to start so first you have to start it okay is there a problem that we is worth solving using machine learning or or, our technology or in general technology but also ai and machine learning let's say because yeah and and how to identify the right problem and i say that first of all identify problems that have huge human error or the existing error in those uh ways you are solving is quite high um for various reasons could be and then see if there are patterns once you have these things that there are you can see there are repeat patterns that are, that how the currently the problem is solved there are potential repeat patterns and there are high errors then go and look out for the data to solve those problems because a lot of times again company make this mistake that they first start with the data they say okay we have this data what can we do with this data and i always say that's a wrong approach because then you are limiting yourself to the data that you already only have rather than trying to uh, look at okay there is uh, rather than starting from a problem which might 
require other data that you may not have, but you only start with, if you look at only the data you have, then you will ignore the data out there, which may be publicly available and you can get that data anyways. So I think that the, the framework for me is very simple. Start the problem, identify uh, if there are patterns, and then look for the data that you have. And then, of course, once you select the right problem, know what data to collect or what data you have, then go and overcome the challenge with the data. Um, that's basically how I would say you go and build the solutions. It's uh, it's interesting that you're saying. So based on my experience, I've, I've seen that there are companies that have a lot of data, just as you mentioned, but they don't know how to do AI. On the other extreme, there are companies that well, they want to do a, some sort of AI, whatever, uh, not necessarily thinking of a problem, but they do not have the data. And I think, I think there, there needs to be some sort of, you know, common strategy or a strategy to unify, you know, data collection, uh, figuring out, like you said, the problem that you need to start with, you know, at the end of the day, with or without the data, with or without AI. Exactly. It, 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 you know, sometimes we have customers and we say like, guys, what you're trying to solve here doesn't require AI. It's just simple statistic. You have that in Google Analytics or whatever, you know. And sure, you can pay us tons of money, but that's, that's, not, that's not what we want to do, right? I mean, uh, it's not efficient for you. Yeah, I think it's, it's honesty is very important in tech, tech world. I, I, and I find that many, unfortunately, many people are dishonest in, a, in, in just saying, oh, we'll use this technology and, and machine learning or whatever and earn a ton of money. And it is relatively easy to earn money from, uh, unfortunately, with these buzzwords. But I always would say that don't use AI or machine learning unless you really have to use it. So, um, Avoid using as much as you can until you think, okay, this makes complete sense. It's same like with the same logic and talk about building startups. I yeah. always say that don't go and build startups unless you think you really have to build a startup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because because I think that you know, so th- that's what I would always say, and uh, I, I I do agree with you that um, there is uh, there there are there are companies who have data, there are companies who don't have data, but I I think. What I have seen over the last year and a half and, um, is that there is a ton of uh, publicly available data also. And, and yeah. even if you don't have the primary source data, you can use secondary uh, data sources to derive insights yeah. for the data that you are missing, right? So there are different ways to overcome the data challenges like in, insufficient data or uh, even data you don't have, then use other forms of data. So, so the, that's why I always say don't start with the data because there are ways to get over the data. But unless you are solving the right problem, mm-hmm. even if you build a solution, uh, you will fail because you know um, that solution may not be adopted. Like as you know, eighty-seven percent of AI solutions are never made into production, and one of the reasons is perhaps that companies are solving problems that they don't need to be solved using AI. Yeah. And, you know, what happens, I mean, from a, from a digitalization point of view, I think it's almost as if we jump from 2020 to 2030 in a matter of months due to this pandemic. And I'm personally, I'm still trying to figure out the implications of all of that. Um, on one hand, if we take retail, for example, clearly more and more businesses have today an online strategy versus a year ago. At the same time, more and more cons- consumers are buying online. And so long term, these trends, I guess, will hold. 
However, I can't help but wonder who are the real winners here. And um, what can we learn from all of this, from this forced pivot, let's call it, that took a lot of businesses by surprise and um, that it took a pandemic of this magnitude to force companies to prioritize digital transformation. And now AI is part of the digital transformation, but I think it's the next step, right? And I'm wondering, do we need to go through a similar painful experience for companies and people to seriously consider adopting and embracing AI? Did we really learn our lesson here? It's very hard for me to answer this question. You know, it's a very philosophical question, and I, I do not know how to, it is, it is. Yeah. How to answer this, this question. Um, but I think it is natural in us, uh, if I just answer, try to answer it philosophically in the way that change uh, is not, is, it takes time, and it doesn't happen so um, quick and so fast until we are forced to change, right? So it's a pandemic and government policies are one of the top, yeah. top down structure of change. Or, or otherwise, that's why innovation happens, that's why startups exist. I think that in a, some way, uh, the fact that companies like Uber and Airbnbs came because traditional travel industry and traditional uh, you know, taxi industry didn't manage to change. So I do not necessarily think that, you know, that the lack of change is always bad because if the lack of change would represent other you know, start opportunities for startups to, to come and embrace and, and, and build those kind of solutions that people will use. So I think that's a... That's just natural cycle now. Yeah. So, so for me, it's it's okay. No if, pain, no gain, right? Yeah, exactly. If a bank says, "Oh, we don't want to change; we want to just use the way it is," or we are very slow to change, okay, that's their choice, and they may cease to exist in 10, 15 years in other fintech companies, and that would drive a lot of fintech companies and startups coming up and 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 taking that market yeah. opportunity. So, exactly. And I think that's just part of. The thing, so I, I, I personally am not frustrated at that. Oh, you know, when someone says, "Okay, I don't," I work with a lot of banks and I, I speak. And if yeah. the bank says, "Okay, we don't want to change," it's okay. That's your choice. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's good because then it creates opportunities for startups, right? If all these big companies were were so fast at change and they were actually changing, I think that would not create any opportunities for yeah, startups. Yeah, yeah, you have a point there. Yeah, that's a good point actually. Yeah. Uh, all right. Can you give us a few examples of projects and products that you've built and what were the biggest challenges, both from a technical point of view and business? And how did you overcome them? Oh, that's a very, again, big question. So I'm, I'm just, I was thinking what, what would be the best answers to this. I think um, in, as a startup, I think that, of course, uh, for example, Omdena would be uh, uh, something that I've been building would be one of the biggest challenges I have experienced uh, over the last one year and three months. Although, because people loved the idea right from the beginning, but there was hardly anyone who believed uh, it could work. In a simple way that, can you imagine people who have never met, live in different parts of the world, uh, not the top tier, not the, the you know, necessarily from all these top tier universities coming together, oh, voluntarily and and building something very meaningful and useful and sophisticated in two months period i mean that that is itself as an idea was quite i think quite is is still quite disruptive but um uh, in some ways unbelievable so for me that was one of the biggest um uh, challenge that how could you make this uh this work and 
and I think that the overcoming is there are many things you know to, how do we overcome that but one of the, the the ways I think that I did overcome was believing in people I think um, oh that's such an important point I love that I love that yeah because what I've seen is the power of the people you know there's, there's no doubt in my mind I mean all these people who are coming together and doing something I've met, known all of them um, some people more and some people less but personally tried to call, talk to them and I think that uh, this belief in that 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 people can actually do something and that perhaps made uh, overcome all of these challenges I mean uh, so that would be one of the things um, in terms of other projects you know there's quite some startups I have built so of course every startup had their own challenges and or their own issues um, but I think the one core thing if I have to take from all of the learnings that I have learned um, in, in my last say 10 years of, of building startups and also mentoring and that's another thing when I do mentoring is I, I learn a lot I meet these awesome entrepreneurs is is basically believe in people I think that that's the best way to overcome is pick the right people work with the right people select the right people surround yourself with the right people and then you can perhaps overcome any challenges <laughs> yeah exactly with the right team yeah yeah uh, so I, I I know you worked on on a lot of AI products and you're you're mentioning quite a few in your in your book and I was wondering maybe you can give an example of uh, of that kind of AI product. Sure. So I mean the book was of course written a couple of years ago, right? And and since then I've also worked on another twenty five twenty four twenty five projects uh, because of Omdena. So if you just, oh wow yeah uh, just if you talk about let's say. Um, let me take one example that I referred in the book and which I also perhaps, and I can refer one in, in the Amdena. So the, I think the biggest challenge in AI is always adoption. And, and how do you build solutions that people will trust, that people will um, uh, are willing to, to adopt, right? So, so that yep. challenge was I was overcoming. So there was this app that we had built uh, to track driving data, how people are driving and yep. uh, collected data from the driving data. But again, driving data is very private. And how do you make people share the data, right? How, how will you do that? So I think what we have understood, and that's something I also apply in almost every um, startup in future, was that we have to connect to the intrinsic and extrinsic motivations of people. And once we understand what people want or what people mot what motivates people intrinsically, um, so in our case was, you know, we wanted to make roads safer. So we kind of stressed on that aspect in the beginning. So, hey, we are trying to make roads safer. We are trying to reduce road accidents. So you connect to the intrinsic motivation and then connect that to the extrinsic motivation of giving something back in return that they can tangible, something they can use or they can get something as a reward. Uh, so we kind of gamify the system. And that helped us to overcome less data challenges because most AI challenges, I think, are not basically necessarily a technical challenge. They are often the data challenges, right? So, so that yeah. was one of the ways that yeah. I understood that how do you motivate people uh, to, to do that. Uh, I wrote a, a, an article, 10, um, uh, I forgot the title, it was 10 Tips for Successful Adoption Machine Learning. It was actually one of the trending in, uh, in Hacker News also. And there I talk about this intrinsic expense motivation. I also talk about educating people, like try to educate people that what the data is being used. So these are the, some of the ways that I think overcoming data challenges. The Another project that I can talk about, which was a bit more technical overcoming data challenges was 
it was in Istanbul. We were, were working with Impact Hub. And our goal was to build a route planning algorithm to go from point A to point B uh, when an earthquake strikes. Okay. Um, and, and we didn't know exactly how to build, like, what to really look at. What, what do we mean by actually uh, uh, the route planning after an earthquake happens? Um, because that was one of the big, biggest concerns of businesses in Istanbul. As I understand that, if an earthquake happens, the first thing that people would think that how can I reach to my uh, safe, uh, to my nearest uh, people, right? Yeah. And and through various interactions and through while by building this collaborative way of building the solution, we realized that uh, density of uh, of an area or let's say a, a road, how the width of a road might indicate uh, whether the road will be functional after an earthquake or not. So we wanted to then, so, okay, we can build a route planning algorithm, which would uh, take into account the width of the road, which unlike Google, which uses, for example, the shortest path or the, the shortest time, which is based on the yep. uh, traffic at a given point, um, which may not be working after an earthquake. Yep. So, and then we, we had to collect the data with the width of the road. And we looked at OpenStreetMap and we immediately saw that uh, the data there was incomplete. It was not correct. So instead of actually so using the width of the road through actually using an open street map kind of uh, place, we use satellite images. So we use, you scanned through the satellite the, the building tops. So And then we analyzed the, the distance between the different buildings tops. So that, by that, we not only included the open area in terms of the, the width of the road, but also the, the small parks and, and some open spaces that are also will be open during after an earthquake. And that is much more accurate than just if you have yeah. taken into account the width of the road. So oh, that's such an elegant solution. Yeah, and, and nice. that, that was the way we did it. And that's why I, I, I gave this example, but I can give you a few more. But the idea that is through this example is I need to show that we should start with the problem and then look at ways and innovative ways to find the data. Like if we have just looked at the OpenStreetMap data, we're like, okay, then we have to build the incorrect model. Yeah. So so that's one, say, one of the nice example to, to to show how did we for example overcome the challenge uh, i i think one of the one of the learnings for me personally out of this episode is the fact that you know if you start from the data then it's kind of like thinking inside the box and i like your approach start of course start with a problem but not necessarily adding data as the next step just consider the problem and see where you can actually collect data if you have it then that's fine. If you need some more, then strategize around that. So that's that for me personally, it's a really, really Absolutely. good point. And just to add one more comment, and if you also start with your own data, there you would might add biases and also things, and then you'll also not think about the bias aspect of those data also. Um, yeah, so just wanted to to ask you if uh, you know what are some you know what are three actionable takeaways you'd want entrepreneurs or or executives to remember after reading your book and when thinking of investing in developing intelligent products and if you are you know just distill the book into three actionable takeaways. Yeah, so I think the three action points to me would be first of all what I said said before identify the right problem and in the book i do talk about what are the ways to identify the right problem the second is the data is out there which i also say that that you know think out of the box i correctly agree with you that think out of the box data is out there once you understand the right problem find ways that you could gather the data 
um, and think how could you overcome the challenges with the data. Um, and the third point is the, is about the people. Um, that um, that it's very important that when you are building the solutions to involve the stakeholders and the users um, as much as you can rather than just some city engineers sitting in a room and kind of in silo and building the solution. So that's the third part, which is um, which even big companies like Amazon and Microsoft had failed, and that's where they ended up building solutions which were you know, somewhat sexist and, and um, racist. So so that's very important, the third point. So, so identify the right problem, data, get the data, data is out there, think ways to, to get the data and, and build with the people, involve the people and the stakeholders and the users. Yeah, yeah, I love I love the point about the people, and I also want to on that point I want to pick your brain on the diversity topic. Um, where do you see things heading? And, uh, and personally, I feel like there are more and more women involved in STEM. At least this is what we are seeing here in Eastern Europe, uh, which is amazing. However, it still feels that we need to be intentional about it and be on the lookout for women that are interested in a tech career. I mean, um, and based on your experience, how the ecosystem feels in the UK or Asia versus uh, versus Eastern Europe uh, in terms of diversity of the AI talent pool? Yeah, thanks for asking this question. I, I do think it's quite important uh, to be have a diversity, you know, and I, and I think diversity is not just about uh, gender or race, or, or skin color. I actually wrote a post a couple of, uh, uh, perhaps a week ago, and saying that I think a room of all white male, but from all over the world, is more diverse than a room with people from different gender, race, color, uh, but all from San Francisco or Silicon Valley. <laughs> That's such a good point. <laughs> Interesting. So Interesting perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's important for yeah, it's important for us to understand that diversity is not just a token diversity. Like, get some people from here, here, here. Okay, now we are diverse, and I think this is yeah. The, the importance of diversity is diversity of which we call cognitive diversity, right? Which is thought process diversity, uh, different opinions and ideas. So that's very important to talk about it. And of course, and I will talk about the the part of the woman because it's absolutely also important uh, to have women. I'm not saying that okay, just have males, but but this part is also kind of uh, happens organically. Like in, in terms of Omdena, uh, we never, um, yeah. when we build this team of people collaborating and, you know, organizing, we never try to do a token diversity. When we select a team, I'm not looking for X amount of women, X amount of people from this country, that country. I never do that. It just I just select the best people that I think are the best people for this project. And to my surprise, and I, I wrote this post also like a, a month and two months ago that I had once, I thought, okay, let me just calculate what exactly is number of women out there or what number of people from different countries are there. There were 35 to 40% were women. Nice. And okay. It, it just, again, it's, I stress this very much. That it was not done by design. And I am yeah. happy that we didn't do that by design. It's not that I say, okay, I need one third of the women, so let's go and find one third of the women. Yeah. What I have seen that if you give equal opportunities and what education, online education is doing is giving equal opportunities, um, then diversity comes organically, automatically. You don't have to do something to do to be a diverse, right? It's like we have 30% from Africa, 30% from Asia, Eastern Europe, from all over the world. It's actually quite diverse. But again, we don't put that effort to make it diverse. It just organically happens. So once we create an equal opportunity, diversity comes naturally. 
the the key is that how do you create equal opportunity right and and education equal opportunity is important so yes women have been traditionally i think a bit lagging behind because in many countries and many cultures uh, they didn't get equal opportunities um so so i think that that's the way to 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 solve the diversity if we are serious about it not token diversity but cognitive diversity is, is create equal opportunities in the world um, and I make it uh, education and knowledge accessible to everyone. And I think what internet and online courses have really done well. In fact, a lot of the women, I, I was trying to understand who are a lot of these women. They are, of course, students, but a lot of these women are in their mid-career, actually mid-30s and 40s, who are part of Amdena. And in fact, in our in our core team, uh, Karen and Laura, they are also of the same group of people that who have like 15, 20 years of experience in other sectors and they want to change and move to another sector, like for example, machine learning and AI. Yep. Unfortunately, the world is very unfair to them and not only female, I'm talking about male and female, right? Both the group. Yep. Um, because we are kind of have this notion, oh, someone has to be a student and, and then they enter the career and keep on staying in the career for the rest of the life. Change of the career is something that people do not take very, I don't know, very easily. And it's not so easy to do that. So what online education have done is access to a lot of these people to kind of take a break and, and rethink and perhaps do something else in their life. And and we have to give that opportunity to those people also, um, uh, rather than just not uh, restrict to saying, okay, we need 20-year-olds on 25-year-olds only. And I think that sex uh, ageism is another big issue that we are very, most companies and look at most startups, they are mostly hiring people in their early 20s and things like that. So um, I think that's a way to build diversity. And diversity, is, age is another very important factor in diversity, actually. Yeah, those are very, very good points. Thank you for that. So clearly AI is hyped these days. And I would like to invite you to give our listeners a framework or Kind of like a set of questions that can help them identify those companies or startups that are indeed doing the AI versus those that just play around with some keywords on a landing page. I know for sure that, for for example, in the marketing, martech space, uh, there's there's a lot of that happening. And I met clients and you know potential you know leads and customers that are questioning us, for example. How can we know that what what you're doing there is actually AI? Because you're asking for a lot of money, for example. You're asking for a lot of, you know, a big budget or whatever. And I'm wondering your about your thoughts. So I think that um, that, that is true what you said. That a lot of uh, people are using words. but in some cases, in sometimes, if I look back, even I have been actually a, a, a guilty to that. I remember in one of my our projects, we didn't really use AI. We used using data science, and we still put the word AI uh, as uh, when we were doing the demo, they said uh, AI to solve this kind of problem, energy, whatever. So I think that one is, mm-hmm. that's that happens. And I, I know that very well that happens. And I think the way to, if we want to know how do you identify whether something is not or not, uh, is an AI or not, or just a data science or just data analysis, I think it, the only way to do that is to just, uh, you know, dig deeper and try to understand what they are going to do build, what what is the solutions they are building, and what are the algorithms they are using. I do not know just by looking at a uh, a landing page or or just to marketing material, anyone can can make an analysis that whether they are or they aren't using any kind of 
like deep learning or machine learning or even other traditional AI algorithms. And at the end of the day, you know, for the business decision maker, I guess it doesn't really matter. I mean, those those nuance those nuances between data science, statistics, deep learning, those. I mean, those are terms that don't say much to a business decision maker. Right? Exactly, and and it doesn't matter exactly as you said. What what why why do you see? I understand that some of the companies are using these words to to increase the the, the payment or you know increase the bill size. So, but that is that 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 is a red flag also for me. You know, <laughs> immediately if someone says I need to charge you X amount of because of this AI, so that's a red flag. It's interesting because um, uh, it's interesting because this question comes um, well pretty pretty rare from customers, but it comes a lot from investors, especially in the, if you are in the startup world and you want to raise money, right? They, they begin to question you and you know this, um, you know, is this really AI? Are we investing in the right technology here and stuff like that? So probably this is what, you know, um, triggered a lot of startups and a lot of, a lot of small companies to, uh, to hype the, these terms, I guess. Yeah, I mean, investors, you know, I I know this is a podcast, but I, I don't mind saying that I have uh, not very high respect for most of the investors. If there are very, very few, few smart investors, right? That really understand what's uh, what's happening behind it. Yeah. yeah. That really understand what's happening in the world. Forget about technology, just understanding what's happening in the world. And in fact, I again wrote a post about it a month ago saying, I'm glad that investors Average investors says they don't understand what we are doing, and I think that's a truly an, uh, a compliment for me. That we are doing something really great. <laughs> when an average investor says they don't understand <laughs> what we are doing, that's great because an average investor looks for they have a steady standard formula. Show that your model is basically they look at often in in Europe and in Asia. US is a bit different, but in Europe and UK, yeah, copy X idea in a market Y doing that something it's just like you know they need to do this simple mathematical like formulation okay you copy x idea which worked in one this country so you are just implementing here uber of y uber of that show me in this world yeah and it's just ridiculous to have this thing yeah yeah at some levels you know on some levels i understand the 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 name of the game and the game they're trying to play it's um it's ruthless it's high risk and they kind of need to do that Absolutely. The best, the best of them, the best of them, they take high risks and they are uh, innovative in thinking and they can see the opportunities, but they are like, what, 5% of the VCs, something like that. Yeah, but that is also, this comes to the same, how we started this podcast about start with why. I think it also comes out to why an investor is investing. Oh, in. yeah. There are investors, most investors are fund managers. They, they don't have never built a company. They have never going to build a company. They don't understand that they are building a company. So they are just fund managers. They just want to maximize profits. They just want to maximize the earning. That's their motivation. That's why they are doing it. So that's why they are reducing the risk by doing something else. But other investors who aren't doing that, why? Because they want to really invest in and be part of something truly innovative, truly something changing the world, making a proper impact in the world. Absolutely. And there, there yeah. you cannot define the early stage startup with simple uh, a sheet. You know, an Excel sheet will never represent. Uh, so, so I think that it's it all again comes down to the why they are doing something, what they are doing. And, 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 but I think it's not only for investors, it's also for startups and a lot of entrepreneurs are doing it for making money. And, and okay, and then they are also like driven by this you know quick money and how do you make money rather than change so i think it's uh it's just how it is you know there are some people who are driven by something else some others are driven by something else 
But what what I think that what entrepreneurs make a mistake, which I um, because I'd mentored a lot and I was actually mentoring one startup from Belarus and he asked me this question that my investors want to look at these metrics, but how can I show that? And I always will say that if you don't build the company for an investor, and, and that's a mistake a lot of startups end up doing that. They, they just go from one raising investment to the next raising investment to third raising investment, focusing purely on return of investment for the investors uh, and or you know catering to their needs and their demands rather than actually listening to their users and customers yeah. often. So I think that uh, we definitely need to make a shift, which I think hopefully will happen after COVID, but in general that where the the focus is not just about how do we maximize the return of investment, but more maximizing the the, the impact that we are creating in the world, and and uh, and that's I think the, that should be how yeah we should look at gauging and looking at investors and also startups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's such a good point, and thank you for for mentioning that. So, Ru, what's your plan for the rest of the year, and what are the growth opportunities for your company as we move move out of this pandemic, hopefully next year. Yeah, so I think, you know, I mean, I, I also mentioned during the, uh, the podcast that I don't have uh, self-created goals and kind of plans as such. <laughs> so I don't plan, actually. The only So your plan is not to have a plan. Not to have a plan, but I think the key... And that's a good plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah let, let it show. But but I, I also think yeah. it's very important to, to have a vision. So it's Planning, I don't plan. I don't think the planning is important, but having a vision and moving towards a vision is very important because that drives you every single day to put that effort in the work and, you know, that not effort, but the hard work, the time that you want to put into something that makes you feel fulfilled and that you want to be part of it. So basically having a purpose, having a yes. reason, having a kind of like a sense of direction. Exactly. Right? That's very important. Yeah. So I do have that sense where I want mm-hmm. to be or what, what makes me do every day what I'm doing. But plan, I, I really don't have a plan for this year. Um, but I, we have been quite uh, like, you know, uh, in the last three months, we, we have grown quite well, decently well, I think. Uh, we have been also extremely lucky to be covered by like, you know, like magazines like Forbes, but also Nasdaq highlighted us. So I think that, again, it just, it happens completely organically. And uh, I didn't put an effort into those things as such. Uh, and I think that that will perhaps uh, also will be reflected in the growth for the rest of the year. We'll see how does that work. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Ru, it was a pleasure to have you and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with me and with us. I learned a lot from this episode. Uh, how can people reach out to you for ideas and comments? Yeah, I mean, the best would be LinkedIn. Uh, I'm quite mm-hmm. active in LinkedIn, so I think that's the only social media that I use. So feel free to add me in LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot again. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation. All right. This was Get Your AI On Podcast. Thank you all for listening and be sure to subscribe. We're going to post a new episode every other week. So stay tuned for the next conversation. See you next time.